0: How powerful is that, that we as people can honestly realize that the acceptance and forgiveness and the love that we seek from our parents, we can actually start doing that with ourselves first and how much of a burden gets released when we start doing that with ourselves. And no longer do we expect our parents to be anything different. We just accept them as they are, realizing that they can only do with what they had at the time that they have it. They only learned so much. That release for me was so powerful. That release for me was just like, wow. Dad's here right now. The anger dissipates. Everything goes away.
1: All right, my friends, welcome back to another episode here on the Fit Father Project and Fit Mother Project podcast. I can truly say this with 100% certainty, there has never been an episode like this on the podcast so far for many reasons. One is is that the person actually being interviewed today is our very own podcast producer, Mike Ligori. This is the man behind the scenes that effectually makes this podcast happen, and he also wrote a new book, In a very powerful book that we're going to kind of discuss today about healing relationships with your parents, journeys of forgiveness, all that happened through a powerful road trip that Mike took with his dad. So, Mike, I'm really excited. And first of all, I want to say thank you for your service to this brand and this company, this podcast. Like the people listening have received so much from you. And now they get to know you more and also learn about the work you did with the book. So this is going to be a great one.
0: That was a that was a heck of an intro, man. I really appreciate it. I practice these things <laughs> under your guidance. Yeah, of course. But it is it has been an absolute honor and a pleasure to work on the brand and work on Fit Father Project and the Fit Mother Project podcast. And more important, be able to share the conversation space with you today, man.
1: Yeah, it's going to be good. I think this is cool because I just read your book this past weekend and it's called The Road Ahead and Miles Behind. Mm-hmm. And effectively, this is a story about your journey of healing your relationship yes. to your father. Yep. And I want to get into the specifics of what this journey is like, and then also pull out some, some bigger lessons from this, because sure. I think there's many people listening here who have had particular relationships with their parents mm-hmm. that weren't always exactly smooth, yeah. and there's so many lessons that come from our parents. So take us into a little bit of the backstory of why you wrote this book and why it's important that you bring this to the world and like what do you think like the big messages are behind why we're having this conversation today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it all started out when I was 6. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it sounded like a therapy session. When I was 8 years old, my parents divorced. And at that point in time, there was a complexity that I already knew was forming. And that was dad was no longer in the house. I was left with my mom who had nothing to her name except the house, had no college education at the time, had no job. Her main responsibility was to raise myself and my brother. I'm the oldest of four boys, so the second oldest at this point. So at that time, I'm starting to learn from this arrangement that they have, that mom and dad are not in the house, and I have to go to dad's house on Wednesday, Fridays, and every other weekend, I'm with mom Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. So already I was used to traveling back and forth. And it wasn't a big journey, more importantly, because one, they lived in the same town. And two, uh, it was a pretty good arrangement. You know, I got picked up. I knew when I was getting picked up from school and I knew when I was going to be at whose house, at what time and what days. And I lived most of my life through a duffel bag. And so as I got older and I started progressing more, I noticed that my dad was rebuilding himself as a man. And so when you're a young man and you're trying to find your identity world and at the time remember they were 8 when I divorced and then I progressed into preteens being a teenager you're watching your father almost reinvent himself from what you knew him when the time you were born. So for me the the backstory to that whole entire thing is as I'm watching my dad go through this own journey of change and growth and then yet I'm still trying to discover who I am at that mm-hmm. time. So already we're finding conflict naturally Because when I'm asking him questions about, hey, dad, what does it mean to really be a man? And the idea that I got from my dad was mostly that you go to work, you provide, you do what you're told to do, you keep your head down, and that's how it worked. And then someday you get to retire, you accrue money, and you get to enjoy the rest of your years. And that, to me, in a lot of ways, didn't sit well with me naturally. And I can't explain truly why that didn't sit naturally with me as a young teenager but what I do know is, is that when I joined the Marine Corps on September 12th, I walked into September 12th, 2001, September 11th is when I was inspired to actually join the military service. It's September. the Twin
1: Towers. Yes. Right here. Yeah.
0: I was a senior in high school when 9-11 happened. So when I watched this on TV and I watched my dad emotionally affected by this, I wanted to do something much larger than myself to go play junior college football and hope I get to make it to a division one school. So I remember going down to the recruiter's office, and the first thing I thought about was, this is the start of my journey. This is the start of my personal journey. And my dad was emotionally affected by it. Millions of people at that time, I'm sure, were affected by it as well. What really struck me out about that was I was going to join the military because I had never gotten validation from my dad when I grew up. I never truly felt received. I never felt really truly significant because I attached a lot of my identity to him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So joining the Marine Corps solves a lot of things. One, I'm a Marine and Marines have a reputation as elite fighting force, you know, protectors of this country. People look at Marines and honor them for their courage and their bravery. So why wouldn't that not translate over into my dad? So I go go into the Marine Corps, tell my dad I'm signing up, I do boot camp, come back. And I felt a sense of being paraded around by him. And I talk a little bit about this in the book, but there was a sense of like my son, the Marine, but it was never my son, Michael, which is what he calls me. And most of my family call me, it's by my full name, Michael. So I spent a lot of my years chasing this recognition and the satisfaction that my dad was just going to accept me and be proud of me and parade me around. And I never got that Marine Corps thought it was going to solve all that. Didn't solve it either. You get to a point in your life with fathers and sons that you start looking at your dad and realizing dad's not going to change. And so ironically with that, we're trying to change our parents Mm -hmm. and we know they're not going to change and they've spent their entire time trying to change us. So there's this weird dichotomy you already have that you're like, well, I just want dad to change. And it's like, yeah, but you also want him to be different and he wants you to be different. How could that ever work? I started realizing as I got older and through my own personal development and journey that my dad was never going to change. He's pretty pretty stubborn in like his ways and I think most I think most people who are watching and listening to the podcast will tell you that you know their dads were the same way especially if it's generational. So as I got older into my 30s, I started realizing that I had to carve a path out for myself and that was I got to stand on my own two feet. But in the back of my head I'm still having this weight of my father. And I'm still having this weight of like seeking deep down on the subconscious level his acceptance. I wanted him to be proud of me. I wanted him to talk about me in a way that was, you know, that was like um that of us of a father is like, I have all four sons and I'm proud of every single one of them. But it's so hard when you don't hear that. And I think most of us have a really hard time that When we don't hear that verbal validation from our parents of how proud they are of us, regardless of what we do in life or what we do accomplish in life, it goes both ways. You know, There are people out there who probably have relationships with their dads that they've achieved all these things in their life and they never got credibility or they never got like an attaboy. And maybe if they did, it wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. The reason why that happens mostly is because they're seeking that type of acceptance from their dad to say that, hey, dad, look at all this stuff that I did for you. They never really recognized it as for themselves. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason I joined the Marines was because of that. I wanted Dad to be proud of me. It was going to change my life drastically. And then I started reflecting on all these things as I got older. There was a point, Anthony, that I started looking at myself in the mirror in my mid-30s and going like, God, I don't know if I'm ever going to have anything with him. And the only thing I could ever really truly have is praying to God, maybe a cordial ground to walk on with him. And so that became my, my mantra for us, you know, limited conversation, sticking to the areas that we're good at, which was mostly stocks, football, business, you know, maybe life advice here and there from a guy who's in his seventies. You know, my dad knows a lot. Mm-hmm. And as a young man in your mid thirties and you're trying to figure life out still, you know, he has a wealth of wisdom. But at that point in time, I'm still looking at him going, man, I just want you just one time be like, I'm so proud of what you've done. Yeah. Still didn't get it. So 2020 hits, the year that we all love. And and so at that time, I'm going through this major shift in my life, major shift. I'm talking about January 2020 hits, and I have big dreams and aspirations like everybody else. You know, I'm thinking like, life is going to be different. I did well in my business. I was like, January, as you know, you're in the fitness industry, as you hear that. January is always the big year that, you know, everybody's like, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to fill all my resolutions. And I was one of those people. So I end up finding out going to a Wim Hof retreat and going to this Wim Hof retreat became the catapult for me to have this self-development journey that I've been on for the last two years. And as I go on this journey, I went to this Wim Hof retreat and meet this group of just excellent people, just really outstanding people who just poured into me, who inspired me. I came out of that retreat March 15th of 2020 and the entire country shut down. And that's a very infamous day that will be there for history. Is the entire country shut down? Is when the airports all shut down. I didn't get on a plane. I ended up actually renting a car from Salt Lake City. It was the last two rental cars uh, in the airport, and I drove in the car and I went back to Denver. It was an eight-hour drive, and at that time I'm all fired up. I'm like, I just did ice baths with like Wim Hof's like number one trainer. You know, I had a you know I had a Super Bowl champion and former NFL player just like pour into me and light me up and tell me I was more than enough. And I just, I felt this like fire inside me that I never got from anywhere else in my life. But I'm driving back in this car and this voice comes in. And it's funny, I've talked to other people about this and they go, you keep referencing this voice. What did the voice sound like? And I go, well, did you ever watch Lion King? Yeah. James Earl Jones of Mufasa. Mm -hmm. Just very calm, just very like powerful, but also made you feel safe. And this voice said, your life is going to change and I'm going to change it for you. Now, when you hear that at any point in time, when James Earl Jones, especially, becomes like what I like to call voice of God, first thing you start thinking about is, but well, wait a minute, why are you changing everything? I kind of like things the way they are. And I only like things out of a sense of mediocrity, which was I was comfortable with up until that point of March 15th. So I'm in this car and I'm driving eight hours back and I keep hearing, your life's going to change, your friends are going to change, your relationships are going to change, your body's going to change, everything is going to change. Didn't tell me how. So get back to Denver. I'm like, life's on fire. I tell my buddy what happened. Whole entire country shut down. We're all in our apartments quarantining. Depends where you are. Some were more strict than others. And I noticed my mindset starts changing. And I noticed that the people that I'm working with in my agency business, I'm mentioning that there is a part of me that is feeling super inspired. That is feeling driven, and I'm hearing all of these things from my clients that are specifically telling me the wisdom that they've had, have accrued over the years of business and self development. And I just start going, "Wow, man, this stuff's making sense to me. It's like freaking landing with me." So as we go through, I start realizing I'm having these dreams that are occurring to me, and I'll get into those later. But you know, at a stop at the stopping point, we'll we'll continue on with this, but. I start realizing that in the middle of the year, something was shifting between my dad and I. And it was getting it was getting pretty big, but it was almost like the gap was widening. So it's getting more tense, and more space? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was getting more tense because I didn't know what else to say to him. Because you get to a point where you're trying to change your parents so much that you just want some, a cordial ground to walk on. So it's like, how long are you going to keep talking about... Sp- stocks and football and business and, you know, and like once in a while life advice. I talked to my dad more about college football than I did what it means to be a man. So like how often, I mean, how can I do that? It's like when college football season's around in August, like we have a whole entire year of content to talk about. That was it. And so we did get more tense because you're like, are we just going to keep doing this dance until he's not here anymore? Yeah. You know, what, what, then, then what? I'm going to spend the rest of his golden years talking to him about football and stocks, knowing deep down inside I wanted something different. I wanted something more with him. And I'm sure you can attest to that too with just your membership group, that a lot of these dads and sons, they want something more than just small talk. want something more than talking about the news, the weather, stocks, business. They want to talk about life. They want to talk about relationship. They want to talk about what it means to love as a father and a son and that dynamic in that relationship. And that's truly all I wanted. And I didn't get that until October of 2020.
1: Well, so let's talk about that. I mean, yeah. You get, a, you get a faithful
0: phone call, right? Yeah, I got a fateful phone call. And when October 2020 happened, I was sitting outside drinking coffee as I usually did. I was living in Denver, Colorado at the time. And I get this phone call and my dad goes, hey, um, what's going on? And I go, nothing much. And you know, again, stocks, football, business, we start talking. And he goes, hey, I want to ask you something. You know, you and I have never really spent a whole lot of time together. How would you like to go on a cross-country road trip with me? We'll start, in like, you know, we'll start in Las Vegas. You like Vegas. Well, of course I like Vegas. I like hanging out there. It's a good time. We'll drive from Las Vegas all the way to Sebring, Florida, which is about 50 miles south of Orlando. And we're going to go to this motocar race, this auto race, called the 12 Hours of Sebring. And it's a world-famous race. And for people who don't know this, it's an auto endurance race. These guys are racing for 12 hours around a three-mile track. And there's a team of drivers at the time that are doing three-hour shifts. And once you're done with the shift, like, you're, you're done. But imagine going 140 miles an hour average speed for three hours in a Porsche. Like, you go 20 seconds in a Porsche and you're going that fast. You're like, man, that was the ride of my life. Imagine doing that for three hours. Could you imagine, like, your adrenaline at that point? Yeah. So my dad tells, <laughs> my dad tells me at the time, he goes, how would you like to go with me? Now, I'm not an auto racing fan. And I'm kind of like the black sheep in the family because my whole entire family has a lineage of auto racing. So at this time, I hear him asking me to go to this race. And I'm like, dad, why would you ask me to an auto race? You know, I'm not a fan of it, but I knew it was his way of reaching out. But the first thing that I thought to myself, the first thing I thought to myself was, this is my exact moment of revenge right? that I get to tell him no, yeah, because he told me no for so many years. No, you can't have these shoes. No, you can't play club soccer. No, you can't hang out with your friends. We have to go elsewhere. No, you can't do this. That's not how you do things. This is how you do things. And the way that we do things around here is because I said so. A lot of people can relate with that. Very authoritarian. Mm -hmm. So I was like, no, no, no. It's my turn to tell you no. But then again, James Earl Jones pops into my head. (laughs) voice of Mufasa pops into my head and he says, Michael, you need to go on this trip with your dad. It might be the only one that you ever get with him. And I'm hearing this in my head and I start noticing that my dad starts kind of talking about this trip and pitching me and he's an old ad agency guy. So, you know, he was used to like the suits and the tie and like drawing out billboards and doing mock-ups for big clients. We're talking about uh, Hills Brothers Coffee, Hidden Valley Ranch, some of the food brand names that he's worked with. So imagine you're getting this old ad executive who's pitching you on his own son over the phone to why he should go on this trip with him. And I'm like, man, I can't wait to say no to him. And then that voice pops in my head. And the first thing I think about at that point is, oh my God, this is the thing that the voice was talking about. This is what God was talking about. God was talking about your life's gonna completely change. Time was never an issue. Time was actually never addressed. It just, in that car ride in March of 2020. It was just, your life's going to change and it's going to happen. But I never got a time frame. Yeah. Little did I know that this trip was going to be the catalyst for that type of change. So as I'm hearing him talk, I'm like, all right, dad, let's do it. And he was ecstatic. He was like thrilled to do it. But I remember when I said yes to him, I hung up the phone and he was excited. And I hung up the phone and I look at my girlfriend at the time and she gives me this look and goes, what did you just say yes to? And I said, I think I just said yes to my dad to going on a cross-country road trip. And I, and I got to tell you, that scared the crap out of me. It really did.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's like such a pivotal moment when you say yes to something that God, your intuition is telling you to say yes to. It sets you on a trajectory of this path. Yeah that changed your life forever, but you very well could have said no, Mm -hmm. you could have allowed the pain inside of you to enact more hurt, but you chose this higher path Mm -hmm. and tell us what happens from here.
0: Yeah. So I end up at this time, you know, as I was saying before, like my childhood was flashing before my eyes, you know, and and, a lot, and in the book, I kind of tee it up that way. So people get a backstory of it because I didn't want to just like airdrop people into the middle of this and be like, so here I am in this car with my dad. And they're like, you know, and, and as a reader, people are going to go, well, wait a minute. What's your relationship with like with him? Like, who are you? Who's this guy? Where are you? Why are you driving through Kansas? Why are you driving through Texas? And I knew when I was writing the book, I had to paint the backstory. And so that whole entire front part of the book where I start talking about my childhood and the times and the moments that I remember. And, and I also want to tee this up too, that not every single moment that I had with my dad was bad. There were great memories that I had from my youth. But again, when you're a young man and you're looking for validation and admiration from your father, you only remember the negative stuff because you're refusing to let go of the past. So I get on this trip and I go to Las Vegas with him, and this is this is just probably one of my favorite parts of this, just the story, but also the book. Is that we go to Las Vegas and the first thing I start doing is I start thinking back in my head, like maybe this is gonna be it. Maybe this is things are gonna work out. Maybe things are gonna be different between us, right? And I noticed the you know, little Mike, as I call him, mm-hmm. eight year old Mike, twelve year old Mike, sixteen year old Mike is like coming out at this time frame when I'm thinking about this. Like maybe finally we'll be friends. Maybe finally we'll be father and son. And then the fear comes in. What if he doesn't show up? Because my dad had a history at times where he wouldn't pick me up from after school care until super late. And even when he did, he was on a client call. Or he would just say, hey, I can't pick you up. Your mom's going to come get you. So understandably, yeah, of course. Like You know, being in, you know, being who I am now and as old as I am with the life experience that I had, like it totally makes sense is why you do that. But when you're a young kid, you don't know any better. You just feel abandonment. Mm -hmm. Shockingly enough, being in that hotel room at the MGM, at the Park MGM in Vegas, I sat there and looked at this wall and went, what if he doesn't show up? What if he's going to let me down? And mind you, I'm in my mid thirties at this time. So here I am experiencing in my mid thirties as a grown man who's been deployed twice. And I'm having the fear and anxiety of a young child, thinking my dad's not going to show up. And I start thinking about, like, what if it doesn't work out? And I start scrolling my phone and thinking, maybe I'll just buy a flight back to Denver just in case, as a hedge. And then I look at a text message that I get, and he says he's going to be here soon. So he comes into Vegas. And I greet him and it's like a very, my dad is like a, has a very like stern look on him, but it's like a very inviting look. It's kind of like uh when a captain boards a ship for the yeah. first time, it's like, you know, you've met my dad is yeah. like, it's like, nice to meet you. You know, it's very like professional, but it's also welcoming too. And, uh, my dad and I get settled in the room. It's a little bit awkward with us in the elevator. We don't really know what to, I want to like ask him so many questions because, like, no kidding, I had like my ki- I wanted to document this trip, and I didn't have the intention of documenting this trip until I said yes to him. And I was like, maybe I should do this. Maybe this will be a good memory for us. So I'm bringing my camera. I got my podcast gear with me. I'm like checking the mics, making sure I have extra batteries, and I'm in there and I'm and I'm like preparing all my questions for him. I'm like, because there's so many things I want to learn from him. And I get in the elevator, and I can't think of anything. He just just talks about all my brothers. My dad, my dad is a great uh, dialogue when he starts talking about all my brothers. He goes, "You know, your brother did this the other day," and I'm like, "Oh no, I didn't hear from him." And he's like, "Yeah, it just drove me nuts." Or he'll be like, "You know, your other brother the other day like really excelled in this area." So I'm only like wondering in my in my head at the time when we're in the elevator. I'm wondering like, "Oh, I wonder what he says about me to my brothers." <laughs> but I'm lost for words the entire time. But then something magical happens too that I think kicks off this whole entire trip is like my dad, I'll tell you, uh, is a is a betting wizard when it comes to college football. And I only say that because my dad does not use any sort of analytics whatsoever. He's super old school. And you know, today we have like all this access to data, we have all this access to like, you know, trends and insights and like looking at historical data of like backing thirty years. My dad remembers how Notre Dame and Wisconsin play each other for the last 30 years, just off the top of his head. And I remember him like, Dad, how do you remember all this stuff? And I'm also going to like share this with you guys too. He bet 13 games and won 12 out of the 13 games without looking at a single piece of data. All he took was a pencil and a piece of paper, which was the betting sheet from the casino, and sat down at a table and started checking off who he liked, completely off intuition, and went up to the betting counter, threw down his money, came back, And I watched him just win all these games. I go, Dad, how did you do that? He goes, everything has a trend. It's history. He's like, schools are built off culture. Organizations are built off culture. They don't change. Once you have your blueprint and your DNA, that's who you are at the end of the day. How profound that that, that college football insight that he gave me about teams and DNA. It's like, you know, if you're a college football fan out there, you know, Wisconsin's running the ball every single season. That's just who they are. They've been doing that for 30 years. My dad remembers that. How ironic is it that I start looking at my own DNA and I start looking at my own signature traits? And imagine, like fathers and sons out there that are listening to this podcast right now, even just parents, mothers and daughters, whoever, is that you look at your relationship with your parents and you realize that you've inherited certain things from them. DNA, culture was built from the get go. Your parents instilled in you things that you just inherently learned. And it's funny, as you progress through the rest of your life, you never really truly realize why. So I started realizing, like, man, why does Wisconsin run the ball for the last 30 years? My dad will tell you, I don't know, that's just what they landed on. For me, you're like, well, why am I so angry at my dad? I don't know, that's just what I landed on. That was my answer. And that kicked off the next day, on Sunday. We got in the car. And I call Vegas the Boulevard of Broken Dreams. It's not the Green Day song, but, you know, I just call it the Boulevard of Broken Dreams. And I remember my dad and I were driving and I'm feeling this anxiety come into the cabin of the Sprinter van. And I start feeling all this tension between us. And I go, you know, I've only judged my dad as a scorecard. And I think most of us can relate to that, I'm sure, even with your parents at the time, that, you know, you don't really know mom and dad before you were born.
1: Yeah
0: you only know mom and dad as a scorecard. Mom grounded me when I was 16, minus one. Dad gave me a new bike for Christmas, plus one. Mom told me I couldn't go to junior prom because I got a D on my report card, minus two. You know, dad won't let me go party with my friends on the boat this weekend, minus two. That's how we judge our parents. It's a scorecard. And so I had realized that I didn't know my dad before I was born. And maybe that context would give me a little bit of understanding at that point.
1: Mm. And so you start digging. Yeah. What are the first questions you ask them? Like, where do you even start with that? And, and do you go very direct with them at this time?
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, first off, I think whenever you're encountering a, somebody significant in your life, like your dad or your mom, I think the first thing you ask yourself is, it's like, I got to be super careful here, right? Because we're so intertwined with our parents. I mean, we came from our moms. Dad raised us. Especially if you're, if you're a man, like dad yeah. is the first male role model that you're looking at. You're going, oh, that's what it means. Regardless of who he was at the time, that is the first imagery that you get of what it means to be a man. And so here I am asking the guy who was the first pair of eyes that I laid on was his when I was born. And I go, I don't know what questions to ask him. But what would I ask, what would I want asked to me if I had a kid, if I had a son? And so I asked him, dad, what were you like before I was born? Little did I know that that question would have popped him open. And there was other things I wanted to ask him, too, because there was a little bit of like some unresolved situations that happened uh, when I was a kid that I never got clarity on. But that was the first question I asked him. And I got to tell you, he popped open like a like a bottle just right off the top. And he just kind of gave me this look like, oh, yeah, well, there's a whole lot I can tell you. He's like, did you know I went to Woodstock? I was like, wait, which Woodstock? I was like, because there was only a couple in history before they like shut it down. I don't think they did it for like 30 years until the 90s. And he was like, oh, yeah, I was at the one uh, where Jimi Hendrix played. I was like, wait, how old were you, Dad? He was like, oh, I was like 23. So he tells me the story of how he went to Woodstock. And then from there, he was, and first of all, like, anytime you hear your parents, like, went to Woodstock, which is arguably, like, the greatest concert in history, automatically, I'm like, Dad's pretty cool. Like, first thing I start thinking about. But then I start asking him more, well, like, what were you doing there? Oh, I don't know. I was just hanging out with my friends. Well, What did you do after that? I decided I'm going to go to California. And then what else happened? And then it just kept rolling and rolling. And imagine doing that with your parents for four days straight. Right. Four days.
1: I think that's probably the power of this experience. It's the context of this sprinter van and the fact that you had the time to go deep. And both you guys were wrapped up in your normal day-to-day where the mind is not tasked with the normal rhythms of life. And you could really go deep with your dad. Mm -hmm. And so what are you experiencing as you're learning insights about your dad? What's happening for you internally in terms of your feeling as you're having these conversations?
0: Yeah. Well, first off, you know, it's it's very, very hard to not feel the anger bubbling up inside of you and not letting that be expressed. Because I'm hearing stuff from him and I'm like, just once again, we go back to little Mike, you know, the child. And I I wanted to lash out at him. And I was like, you know... For just once in your life, dad, can you just acknowledge that I'm doing pretty well for myself? But I held back from that. And I was like, no, I'm just going to let him talk. Because I think at this point, he may not know anything of the sort. He He may not know that. He may not learn that. Which is another thing I think is really interesting when you talk about the book specifically is that our dads learned how to be dads from their dads. And their dads before them. So everything that people learn about fatherhood, about parenting, about relationships, is all inherited. it's all learned. So a lot of the behavior that I was not okay with from him was actually probably not even his fault. It was just something that he knew because my dad only did the best he could Mm -hmm. with what he had at the time that he had it. I mean, what if that was the only limit? That was the limit of who he could be as a father. And so my expectations of him, like, superseded that. And all I wanted him was just to hear, I wanted more from him. But now here comes the real question. What happens if that's all he's capable of? Yeah. What happens if that's all he's capable of? And that was a thought that came into my head too. So imagining that my dad, all he could be is who he is right now. Maybe that's his limit. Maybe that's his ceiling kind of changes the dynamic of the conversation, right? Because now I'm not pushing him to be something more. I'm just going, wow, maybe that's just who he is. But I got to tell you, that was so freeing. And so when I hear him having these conversations and talking about the mistakes he's made in life, and one story that I truly love in the book, it's, it's called When All Your Friends Are Gone. And he talks about the dichotomy of deep relationships. And then on the flip side of that, integrating that with faith. And I gotta tell you, it was the most beautiful story in that entire book was was that one. And it was really truly about what it means to have brotherhood and relationship and bonding, fathers and sons. But it was more so a replication it was a replication of his life previously, or a retelling, I should say, of his life previously. Where he's saying, You know, when you were a young kid, Mike, and you remember telling me this in the car, he said, you know, I had really, really good friends. And my dad describes himself as a lone wolf in a little bit. Like, it's funny, though, because you've met him, though, again, and he's, like, pretty social. Yeah. But he's very, very comfortable just doing his own thing. But that story about when all your friends are gone, that was the height of the emotion that really, I think, cracked us wide open was that story right there.
1: Because he's telling the story of his dear friends who mm-hmm. would spend time in church, and you're asking about his friends, and slowly they're kind of dying. Yeah. By one, and your dad is coming face to face with his mortality. You're coming face to face with your dad's mortality. This is on top of the fact that you're now seeing your dad in context of his life and starting to have more forgiveness in your heart. And now your dad's also starting to yeah. break down a little bit too and soften even more.
0: Yeah. And, and one thing I, I will say to the, what you were saying is, is that watching your father soften in front of you is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen because that generation of men grew up in a time where it was post World War II, it was post depression, and their dads before them grew up much differently than we do now. There was no talk about vulnerability. There was no encouragement to cry. There was no softening. You're a man. You do what you're supposed to do. You provide for your family. End of conversation. And life's tough, you deal with it. And a lot of that stuff is that, you know, what my dad would tell me. He just said, "Life's tough." just got to deal with it. And so watching him soften and talking about a group of men that he got raised up in the church in and watching him become a man of faith before my eyes, almost retelling this story and realizing that these group of men were men that I've all met. And when I went to church when I was a kid, I used to shake their hand and then I kind of describe it in the book that they all this like monochromatic color scheme of the suits. Mm -hmm. You know, they were the Christian version of the Rat Pack, for those of you who remember it. And watching my dad hang out with these guys who all had parted hair, no hairs out of place, you know, a nice watch on their hand, a ring on their finger, you know, never cursed, barely drank, and man, did they love God. And Sunday was like their – Sunday was their good time. You know, and Easter to them was the Super Bowl. That was the big – that was the big deal. Christmas was another celebration. I mean, they were – They were men who believed in giving back and receiving what God gave them. And more importantly, they were instrumental to the community of men that were in the church. And to watch my dad grow up in that, and faith has always been a big part of my dad's life. But I realize that he's not getting any younger in this car. I'm realizing that there is no reversal of time here. And my dad softening before me is telling me that, Two out of his three friends that he grew up with in the church are gone. No longer here. One died in old age and the other one died of cancer. How lucky am I to watch my dad in his 70s in good health, in good shape, vibrant, full of energy still. No pain pills, no medications, not even using a walker. And I'm watching my dad going, man, I don't have a lot of time left with him. And I hope I can just keep getting as much as I can. But I realize the window's closing in.
1: Yeah. And that starts to set a frame of appreciation and gratitude, which you, you mentioned yeah. that where you wrote the word hate a couple of times in your book. I did, yeah. early. You said you, you hated your dad. Yeah. And I mean that's a strong word to write and yeah. you really felt that way at the time. And it's really beautiful how these different factors as this road trip progresses were also softening you yeah at the same exact time mm-hmm. to come to this place of appreciation, gratitude for who your dad is, and forgiveness for who he wasn't or at least for your expectations of what you were holding him to be and seeing him as he is, yeah in the context of a, just a man who was doing his best at the time who maybe fell short from some of your expectations, but is still in many ways absolutely magnificent yeah and then, as you progress, you come to this well, I'd like to get to the race itself, which yeah. is funny enough, like the destination, but kind of inconsequential in some ways, very special to your dad. But, right. you know, you get there. And so take us to the end bit of this of this road trip as you progress sure. to like the crescendo, I guess, of the
0: journey. Itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, and, and one thing I want to just wrap up on that story there is that, you know, remember that at this time watching my dad evolve before me and realizing the window that we have specifically with each other of just being together. And I start softening, right? And as you had mentioned, and I start learning forgiveness and acceptance, all the things that I wanted from him, I was actually doing for myself. Sure. And I was doing for him. And how powerful is that, that we as people can honestly realize that the acceptance and forgiveness and the love that we seek from our parents, we can actually start doing that with ourselves first and how much of a burden gets released when we start doing that with ourselves. And no longer do we expect our parents to be anything different. We just accept them as they are realizing that they can only do it with what they had at the time that they have it. They only learned so much that release for me was so powerful. That release for me, was just like, wow, dad's here right now. The anger dissipates, everything goes away. And I start realizing that like, as we drive further ease, I start opening up to him and I start telling him my worries and I, my anxieties and fears and we get to the end. And, you know, you had said something earlier, it was never really truly about the destination of the race. It was always just about the journey getting there. And dad's really truly about the journey. He always has been even when we were camping and like, you know, and I talk about this in the book, one of my dad's favorite sayings is make pretend you're camping. Mm -hmm. And it was usually just a way to tell us to shut up very nicely when we were complaining that, you know, we didn't have supplies or there wasn't a Sega Genesis around or we couldn't watch like TV or football. That was dad's way of saying like, Hey, you know what? Just like suck it up buttercup. That's just the way it is. So we get to the end of our, of our trip and uh, it's Sebring, Florida. And this is old racetrack that was uh, converted from an, an airport. So an airfield. And so the, the signature part about it is, is the concrete or the pavement, I should say, of the racetrack has not been redone in years. So imagine like tons of bombs, crazy amount of cracks in it. <laughs> imagine at the time, like cars are just flying around here. But the massive breakthrough that I had was watching my dad walk around the racetrack. And realizing, and I think this is like, I want everybody to listen to this too that there's a stark difference between acknowledging that you are your father's son or you are your mother's daughter than saying, I'm just like my dad or I'm just like my mom. And I started working and parsing this out, realizing that I always feared being exactly like my dad because there was resentment and anger and hatred I had towards him. And I held on to that for so long because, one, it made me feel super powerful. And two, it made me feel like I had leverage against him. That like, it's not me that has to earn trust with you, dad. It's you have to earn trust with me. So I hold on to that. How many of us are doing that? Just in our lives right now with coworkers, with clients, with business, with friends. With kids. With kids, right, exactly. So you start thinking about how much we spend of our lives holding on to resentment and anger towards people. And I don't believe life is really short. I believe that like life is fragile. So the fragility of life is really like where I think people really truly miss the mark is that they they focus on the length and they don't focus on the quality of time or the fragility or the condition of that state. And I realized that I had all this time with my dad for years and years and years. And it was so fragile because of all this anger and resentment that I had. Now I'm in this car with him for 11 days, this road trip with him and camping out at the racetrack. And I start realizing that, you know, I am my father's son. And what was the definition to that towards me? And the definition was, is that, I inherited generational traits and curses from him. And we talk about that a lot. And for some of you, you might not recognize that. But think about it. Every single one of you has inherited something from your mom and something from your dad, whether you like it or not. And they're categorized into traits and curses. So for me, the traits that I inherited from my dad was his curiosity for his imagination, for his enthusiasm for life. And it's kind of funny. If you've ever taken the Enneagram test, have you taken that? Yeah. Yeah. So my dad and I are actually both sevens, which are the enthusiast. And I'm like, oh man, I wonder if I got that from him. I was like, that's kind of cool. No wonder he gets like so psyched about like, you know, car races or like the little things or the mechanics. I mean, I remember going on trips with him. He would just we would walk down in uh, New York City. I remember he took me to New York City one time, and he would just walk down the street. And the first thing he would do is, my dad is your classic does not tell you when he's stopping. If you ever been with somebody like that when they're traveling, like you're all walking in a pack and you're like, oh, look at all the sights and sounds. My dad would just like walk over here and just like look at that building. And he would start muttering to himself. I'd be like, dad, we're hungry. Hurry up. And he would just like look up at the building and he would go, I wonder how they did that. And he would talk to himself and he was just always like completely enamored by that. And I realized, I go, oh my God, I did that too. And I still do that. There are times where I walk by stuff and I go, I wonder, how they, uh, I wonder how people get up that mountain. I wonder how they, how do you think they like got up there? And so I inherited that natural enthusiasm and that curiosity. And that's a trait that I got. And I got some from my mom too. And I talked a little bit about my mom in the book. But when you really truly think about it, I inherited these beautiful, beautiful traits from him. And I only recognized that when he was walking around that racetrack, watching him just be excited about something to cheer for. And the curse part, and let me talk about that for a second. We inherit things from our parents that we do not like. And man, I bet you a lot of us out there are holding on to that, wondering, you know, for the longest time, like, God, why do I have to be like my mom? Why do I have to be like my dad? God, I hate the fact that I'm like that. And I'll tell you, there are things that I got from my dad from like a, from a curse standpoint. And the first one is, is that my dad is really stubborn. And he's got a way to, he'll grind you down. If you disagree with him, he'll just say, well, well, why don't we look at it from a different way? And that's his way of getting you to kind of flip on the other side. And he's really good at that. And I noticed that I started doing that too for the longest time. I would just be like, oh, someone's disagreeing with me. And it didn't hit me until I was on that racetrack though, which is really funny. But and I would go to, I'm at this racetrack and I noticed that actually in my past, there are people I've had conversations with. I'm like, oh, you don't agree with me? Well, like, well, well, let me flip it on its head and show you another side of the argument. And then I'm like, oh, my God, dude, I'm just like my dad. And it drove me crazy. But letting go of that anger and resentment and that hatred towards him, I actually started realizing that I'm embracing the curse mm-hmm. and the trait. Mm-hmm. And it led me to believe, like, wow, I am my father's son but I'm not like him. I'm completely different. I have my own personality, my goals, ambitions, and dreams, different wants in life. But how proud am I to be my father's son? (laughs) And how proud I am that I'm not just like him. And maybe that's where we find cordial ground with each other is realizing that we're the same, but we're not alike.
1: Yeah. I think it also, the theme is acceptance, right? Ultimately you come down to the traits and the curses acceptance that comes through the illumination mm. of seeing things yeah. as they are. Yeah. And like, is that not healing? I think that's, that's yeah. kind of like the, the essence of, of personal healing. And also with this feeling that you said, when you left behind some of that anger and resentment, right. you felt lighter. yeah. And I think that's just always a telltale sign when you're on the path is that you feel lighter. Mm. And I think it's very relevant that we're on this particular path Podcast here with yeah. fit fathers and fit mothers physically enlightening themselves. Yeah. Hopefully going through journeys to emotionally and spiritually mm-hmm. enlighten themselves. And that's kind of seems like what you guys did is the deep inner work through the vehicle of your dad for your personal enlightenment. And ultimately, as he shares in the foreword, for his as well. Yeah. It has to be mutual, especially with an interpersonal relationship, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the only way I can explain it. The only thing I can explain to you is that nothing in that car didn't happen without the presence of a higher power. James Earl Jones did a heck of a job. I got to tell you, but (laughs) there's something funny when you're sitting in your car with your, with your parents and for 11 days and hoping, you know, hoping to God that you get all this healing. And you're realizing that like, you know, maybe if I just keep going and it's very metric based, it was very metric based for me, which was so odd because I am not a metrics person. I don't, I mean, I'm like your classic Italian. Like I eyeball stuff when I cook. I do not measure anything. I don't follow recipes. I go, oh, no, it just kind of feels good. And I was doing that completely opposite with my dad. I was looking at him and I was going like, okay, maybe if I just keep pushing this conversation, I just keep doing this. And I just maybe maybe a little bit more, like let me get to the root of this. And then I'm going to like bring something to light. And then that's the piece of evidence that I need. And then, then I'll feel better. But I let everything go when I realized that he he is just wanting more than anything to be loved and accepted like we all are. And I think he just wanted love and acceptance from his sons and he's proud of us. And he always tells us, he goes, I think I did a really good job raising all four of you. Cause none of you ended up in jail. <laughs> that's like, you know, that's kind of like his benchmark for success with that. But the most important thing is that, you know, for all of us, How easy could life be if we no longer hold on to that resentment or anger towards our children, towards ourselves, more importantly? I think it all starts with ourselves, too. And the moment that I released everything that I disliked or disavowed from my dad, that's when I really, truly welcomed him in Hmm. and, like, accepted him, who he was. And watching us heal in this vehicle, right, literally and figuratively in this vehicle and having the presence of God Come into that vehicle and say, You two need to sit down and you two need to talk. Yeah. And when we talk about change, and you know, in the beginning of this interview, I was telling you, talking about specifically that, you know, God had entered into my vehicle. We'll just call him, we'll just call him Earl at this point. So, Earl walk, <laughs> Earl comes into the vehicle and says, I'm going to change your life. Little did I know that that was going to be the thing that literally time collapsed everything for me. Mm-hmm. And I came home from that trip and I have to tell you, the book that I we're talking about here today and the book that I wrote. That took 10 days, and I cried the entire time I wrote it. And I just kept getting mental images and pictures of this idea that, you know, this is going to be the one thing that I have for my dad, not just the road trip, but the thing that memorializes every single moment that we've ever had together, the true healing and redemption between a father and son, and realizing that we don't have to fight each other anymore. I don't have to fight him. I don't have to fight myself, and he doesn't have to fight me. I mean, and look, we still talk to this day, we're closer than we ever have, and we still have our disagreements about stuff, but it's so much easier now because now I look at it from the lens of like, instead of being like, oh, dad, you make me so angry. It's just like, all right, dad, glad you see the world that way, man. (laughs) You know, but it's, it's been so freeing, And I hope everybody like listening to this really, truly sees the magnitude of this, that they you have a chance right now to have something with your parents. And if you're a father listening to this and looking at your son right now, and it may have not been the easiest road, you have a chance right now in this moment in time to truly change that. Mm-hmm. You always do. Yeah. And if you're a son, an older son, especially if you're in your 40s, 50s, and 60s, and your parents are still alive, you still have an opportunity right now to give them a phone call. Mm-hmm. Maybe they want to go on a road trip with you. Mm-hmm. And just give them a shot. And don't put your opinion, your judgment, your points of views, or conclusions about them in your conversation, and your viewpoint with them. Just realize and acknowledge and accept that that's how they are. Yeah. And how powerful is that?
1: Yeah. And the other lesson I would add that seemed like one of the big takeaways is this whole journey was kicked off by the inner voice, the mm-hmm. voice of God, your intuition. So like, yeah. the, also the big lesson is listen to that. Because that's the door that opens that leads you to Absolutely. this grand adventure, yeah. In whatever form that comes, and also the power of shared, shared, dedicated one-on-one space with the people that you want to heal with, yeah. In the car, or road trip, yeah.
0: And and you know, an intuition is a powerful thing, and everybody can label and choose their faith as they what would like to name it, right? Some people like to give, you know, like to call it God. Some people like to call it Source, Universe, Spirit. But whatever you decide to label that, just acknowledge that there's something larger and greater than you. So really look and examine that when you're approaching your parents, especially, because we do get a lot of tension and trauma for our parents, right? And they do actually, in a lot of ways, impact every single thing we do in our life. If you have a wealth mindset, your love mindset, abundance mindset, scarcity mindset, that all came from your parents. And I guarantee you if you go and look back and be like, man, I don't understand why I can't not bring money into my business. You might be looking back and going, oh, well, no wonder. Like mom and dad used a cash envelope system because when times were tough, they would stuff the envelope and they would tell us we couldn't get two servings of dinner. And I mentioned that in the book, too, is that, you know, when my mom was raising us, there were months that we were mom was like, yeah, you can have an extra serving. You know, I got to go do a Costco run. It was good. And there were other months where she's like, Whoo you and your brother. And by the way, my brother and I are pretty big, we're pretty big kids at the time. And so we're not small human beings. So imagine telling like two big growing boys that all of a sudden that, you know, they can't have seconds and they're playing sports too. It's like a, it's like a stab in the side. It's like, Oh God, I can't eat more mom. I can't have dessert either. So, you know, but when you talk about the intuition piece and and just getting back to that, I think the one thing is, is that just approach it with this acknowledgement in the sense that like the space will be created for you to get whatever healing or experience that you truly want from your parents by just allowing yourself to just be there and not look for an agenda, not look for an answer. Yeah. And intuition will guide you. Yeah. It really will. It Never leads you wrong and it never leads you astray. It's always going to be about your intention behind it. And if you approach and say, I want to get to know my parents and your parents may not open up to you. They just might not. You know, they, they may not just, they might not say like, I don't want to talk about that crap. Why would I want to do that? You're like, okay, but at least you tried Mm -hmm. and you can walk away and put your head at the, you know, head on your pillow at the end of the night, just saying, at least I tried.
1: And maybe even even find acceptance and forgiveness of that too.
0: Yeah. For yourself, because you know, what, what would it be like for you? And this might be a little bit morbid, but I'm just, I'm going to go here just for the sake of the imagery of this conversation that we're having. Imagine that it's your parents final years on this planet and you spent your entire adult life, your childhood life, wishing you could have said something to them, and you didn't. You sat there the entire time, and you're looking at them and you're going, man, I never really truly forgave myself for being mad at them, and I never truly accepted or forgave them for who they are, and just loved them from where they were at. That was the biggest thing for me, was that you know when dad went home on that plane ride, back to California and I went back to my apartment in Denver. I walked away with the acknowledgement and the acceptance that I can still love my dad and I can accept him and I can meet him where he's at without feeling like I'm giving away my power. I'm giving away my cards because what I'm doing is, is I'm actually embracing him for the way that he was made. Yeah. But how healing is that? It's healing. Yeah.
1: As a reader of this book and having had the opportunity to read it first I'll say that these concepts, they can seem simple. Like you could read a blog post of like five ways to connect more deeply with your parents. And maybe some of these tips would be like written out. Yeah. But having read your book and actually going on this journey with you in such an experiential way Mm -hmm. makes this stuff hit home tremendously. So I hope if someone's listening to this and they are looking for a very easy yet powerful and relatable read of just a story that ends up imparting some very profound lessons that they do get this book. And can you tell everyone listening where they can get this book? If they're interested in going on this journey in a deep way, I picked the book up on Sunday. I read the whole thing in a day, cried a few times. The ending is absolutely fantastic. And there's one more detail of the journey that I don't want to tell people about because i got (laughs) to read the book to find out at the very end. That's like a a very special moment you share with your dad. So that'll be the cliffhanger to get the book. Yes. Where can people... End up getting this book and finding this book and learning more.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, just honor and acknowledgement to you, man, just for taking time out of your day to read this. Um, You know, we've been friends for quite some time, and just to be able to hear your opinion on this and just having it impact you on the level that it is was just really, it was it was really profound, and it was really inviting, man. So I I appreciate that. Just you spending time, you know, because time is that currency we don't get back, man. So when people spend time on my book and my work and my words. Just an absolute blessing. Everybody can pick up the book on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can also go to my website, mikelegori.com. That is L I G U O R I. Um, You can also follow me on Instagram too at mike That's also L I G U O R I. So.
1: And because you help manage the show notes, that'll also be in the show notes. I will make sure there's a link in there for
0: the book, (laughs) of course. Yeah, I will make sure it's in there, and and you know, just for one thing, I want to impart on just your audience, real quick, just mom and dad. The mom and dads out there, give your kids a chance and then give yourself a chance. And trust me, magic will happen. It'll work. Just give it some time and it is never too late. You can always have something with your kids. You can always have something with your parents. You can always have something with yourself. So I really appreciate that, Dr. Anthony, for having me. And uh, thank you. It's It's been a blessing man, to be here. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Hey there, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Fit Mother Project Podcast. If you love what you heard, I have a favor to ask you. Please consider taking 60 seconds right now to leave us a rating and review on our podcast. Leaving us a review is super quick. It only takes a minute and it's so, so helpful to us as it really boosts this podcast to reach more people who need this information and this message. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, you can leave us a star rating and review. If you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the like button and leave us a comment. Overall, I truly appreciate you being with us here on the podcast. On behalf of me and my entire Fit Mother Project team, we truly feel honored and grateful to support you and your family on your journey to fantastic health. I thank you for your support of this podcast and of this mission.